Bongo drums. Vegas. Sky blue. America knows them as a trinity, a trio, a musical trinity. They bang on their drums, they wear black turtlenecks, they put on quite the show for their audience. But of course, they've also been putting on a different type of show, haven't they? They are, of course, the Blue Man Group. Welcome, this is Blue Crime, a true crime podcast about the Blue Man Group. Now, we know this group as the iconic group of three azure Azure? Azure? Is that that the blue? Is that the color blue? Sky blue? Yeah. Am I getting it right? Yeah, you are. My mic literally (laughs) fell right as I said that. (laughs) Now, we know this this group is the iconic trio that they are, but we don't know what's behind the masks, behind the paint, behind that pain, because there's been quite the untold story about the Blue Man Group, about what happens when the show stops and the crime starts. True crime or blue crime? Now, we're here with their leader, um... (laughs) This one is so (laughs) half-baked. They're not mimes, dude. Colin's miming right now. They're not mimes. They don't speak, though. they, they, They don't talk? I'm answering... Yeah, they don't talk. I'm answering in their way. Oh, gosh. I'm playing drums. <laughs> okay. Now, we're here with one of the leaders. What do you say to the allegations behind the Blue Man Group? They are false. <laughs> They're not aliens. The claw! <laughs> I, just, I just went robot slash alien. I had nothing. <laughs> this is the worst is one. So Why do we end on this one? Oh gosh, get me out I have of this a, right. I have a literal mosquito flying around my face. <laughs> Everything button, went wrong. Eject button. Eject button. Rate of play. Rate of play. Rate of play. Get me out of here. This is terrible. Really, it just started off because blue rhymed with true. And, and <laughs> that was hilarious. That was about as far <laughs> as it went. And then I, what is that word? Azure? Am I getting that right? I, I don't know, to be honest. Azure. I really Color. know. I got it. Azure is a product by Microsoft. (laughs) I think it paid off. This is so stupid. Azul? Azure? Guys, we are here to announce that Bar to Death is officially shutting down. (laughs) Uh, It's Azure, bright blue in color like a cloudless sky. You know what? Now we all learn something, you ungrateful listeners. So um, why don't you write that down, take notes, and shut the podcast off? JK, guys, this is not Brew Crop Blue. Dude, this, this is the worst. I hate this podcast. I don't do want to do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> this is not blue crime. This is bar to death. the worst no it's i great. cannot it's talk great. i should have written a script out i <laughs> improvising never got anyone anywhere oh man i thought you were working off a script and i was just thinking what is happening over there <laughs> <laughs> he spilled this coffee his keyboard's fried oh my goodness gracious that was Guys, good blue crime got me b- blue crime man i just can't let's, let's this, let that be this, the hallmark this is brutal um <laughs> So, guys, welcome back. This is the season finale of Bar to Death Season 2. Mm. Last season, we brought you 25 episodes. On the 25th, <laughs> we had a mental breakdown. 
<laughs> this season we brought you eight. <laughs> and we're ending on a positive note. I ha- not really. This is not positive. <laughs> this is terrible. Um, oh, man. Last week, Colin and I started talking about music, the final theme for our season two. We covered four themes this season, food, laughter, sports, music. We, we I think we're kind of ending on a high note, no mm-hmm. music pun intended. Um, oh, intended. I think we were really hitting our stride there towards the end. We were caffeinated. We were flying. Um, we talked mostly about us as consumers of music, as listeners, um, and this week we want to transition a little more into the producer side of things. Mm. Uh, we, Colin and I have both played music, um, play instruments, play in bands, and we kind of just want to explore that a little deeper, what's behind it all, some of our experience, hopefully a couple stories. Have both and recorded music. We have both recorded music. And released music in studios, and we also both play multiple instruments, which I think is interesting. We're both super talented, to be honest. <laughs> We both have girlfriends and or wives. <laughs> you have both? <laughs> I was trying to cover your... I don't have any, so it must be all you. That is so funny. JK, I got one. <laughs> Could have two, but you know, just one for me. Joke's on my high school quarterback. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> just the bully. Uh. Oh my gosh. Um, oh, jeez. We're, ta- we're wanna, talking about music. We're talking about music. Now, yeah, what do you got, right? I'm a little insecure talking with you about being a musician. You have been a musician longer than I have. When we were first friends, I didn't really play in any instruments. So, you, to me, like that was a different world. That was a different language that I didn't mm. speak at the time, really. And even the fact that I call myself a drummer now. It still feels weird talking to you because you were always the real musician of, of you know between the two of us. So I'm headed into this with a little insecurity. Well, I appreciate you naming that. That's uh, totally unfounded, though. Um, all musicians are created equal, and you are very much a drummer. And I listened to y'all's record. We have y'all's uh, the, the Tall Boys record close out every episode. Uh, Luchador. Lucador, Luchador, what's Luchador. Luchador, Luchador is, is the track. That's is why, the name of the that's track. That's why listenership to our pod drops off around the 90, <laughs> 95% mark. Y- y'all's record is infinitely cooler than anything I've ever done. So I feel insecure in that regard. But sh- sh- shout out to the band. <laughs> I did have the privilege of studying music in college, which I was very grateful for. Um, that's probably something I uh, shouldn't have done. <laughs> But we can get into that. Um, Double majored. We've both recorded in studios. We both play multiple instruments. We both have a as as we've realized in our and I've always known in our in our last episode a deep 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 love and connection to music and definitely our companions. I think in the musical journey of always trying to find the next band and trying to find it before anyone else. So we can take credit True story uh, for finding, for discovering them. And I think we both, the minute somebody gets really popular, start to shut down towards that musician. Also true story. <laughs> the more popular, the less I'm I out. listen is, is my, yeah. See um, them in a Pringles commercial. You just bail. <laughs> oh, once you pop, the fun does stop. Yeah. <laughs> what a terrible That's- I'm so disappointed. I love it. I think it's great. Um, so what are we talking? How, how are you going to do this conversation? Well, Ry? 
I'd love to start off with kind of Genesis. Genesis mm. 1. How how did you you mentioned it last episode that your mom kind of got you into <laughs> piano. Um my chrono- yeah. chronologically that's before I get started with music, playing mm-hmm. an instrument. So I'd love to just hear how you stumble into music um and what that was like as far as being a musician goes. Sure, sure. Definitely a stumble. Um my mom had a piano. Um we had a piano in our house. And so just kind of playing around that as a kid, like my mom never played on it. My dad never played on it, but just kind of, it was more decorative and just kind of tinkering around on it. I think one of the first things I was able to figure out was the star Wars theme song, <laughs> which was which <laughs> is pretty, pretty seminal for me. Like just hearing that and then trying to like transpose that onto the piano with my index fingers, like a, like an older dad having trouble typing on a keyboard. Typing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to file my taxes. <laughs> That, that that DMQ key, it's just all the way in the corner. Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, so like my mom had also read, I think as a young mother, that kids who played music were smarter. She read an article mm. or like an NPR report or something. And so it was like- Exceptions to every rule. <laughs> naturally, like forced music then onto my older brother and I and um, forced us to take piano lessons. It was something I think that we could do after school. We could ride our bike to the neighborhood lady's house and give my mom a half hour of sanity back. And Mm. so I felt like that was part of it too. Um, Didn't particularly love taking piano lessons. Um, Skipped a couple times, like would say, "Um, yeah, I'm going, and then would just like tear the check up that my mom gave me to give to this brutal, I know. It just never cash. Like like she she never questioned it. She wasn't paid. I didn't take lessons, but the check disappeared. So I didn't know at that age that checks got cashed. And I just figured as soon as you got it, it was done. There was like no, (laughs) there was no draft or anything. Um, And then my piano teacher died. And that's, Whoa. yeah, it's a true story. She was such a sweet lady, uh, Betty Clampett, shout out. And, um, if she had a few more bucks. She wouldn't have died. <laughs> oh God. Dude, tore that check. So I'm sorry. Sad. That was too dark. <laughs> she was, how uh, do you feel? Her and her husband were very well off, lived in a mansion, um, a few blocks up the road. And yeah, it, um, so that was, that was like a weird experience. And like, I had, I remember having like a lot of guilt, like when my mom told me like, Hey, Miss Clampett passed away. And I, I don't think I knew what death was like, hadn't really thought about it at that point. And like, then I had the thought of like, did I have something to do with this? Because I tore up those checks and I skipped out on the lessons and like, there was like a little bit Gosh. of guilt. And I don't, I don't remember exactly then how I got into playing trumpet in junior high, but I, that made that happen or in middle school actually is in middle school. And, um, sixth grade. I think it was because like Kurt Maurice and Heather Steinbauer were doing it and they were like deep cuts, deep cuts. Yeah. They were kind of buddy. Uh, Chris, Chris Hibbets was doing it. Little Chris Hibbets cameo. Um, Chibbets. Um, he was, <laughs> he, he was doing it <laughs> and uh, I'll never forget Chris Hibbets shout out, uh, sitting next to him. This is an old school memory, sixth grade playing trumpet, super early morning, we just sounded horrible. Like me, Heather, Kurt, Chris. And I, just, and I just remember Chris pulling the trumpet, like the mouthpiece off his lips and being like, my trumpet tastes like Crest toothpaste. Because <laughs> he had just brushed his teeth before playing. So funny. And you were like, um, let me get a taste. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. Prove it. I remember. I'm pretty sure Heather got braces and like could barely Uh, play. She's like, "Oh, my braces hurt my mouthpiece." Sounds like the Tin Man walking, (laughs) just metal on metal. (laughs) There is a there is a recording somewhere I know of Kurt Maurice 
Heather Steinbauer and I doing a trumpet trio pra- practice, like went over to Kurt Reese's house, Heather's house, my house practice multiple times in multiple locations. We did perform it at a band, a uh, middle school band concert. It was horrible <laughs> and probably culturally offensive in some ways. I think it had a, a mariachi <laughs> kind of vibe. Skies are blue. <laughs> you tried to do the Louis Armstrong voice. <laughs> Colin. No, no, there was no, there was we, no singing. That's so funny. <laughs> you said mariachi. I did. I think it was like, like it was like a Latin. That's the Star Wars theme, but it was like a Latin influence, like kind of thing. And it was just yeah, fajitas came out of nowhere. I remember there was a sombrero on the page. No joke. Oh, and it was on. yeah. It was very culturally insensitive. Oh, but gosh. Kurt, Heather, and Colin. That's where it an started. evening with three white kids. <laughs> That's where it all started, Rye. Man. And and then and then yeah, like kind of non-genesis, but um the church had an old drum set. So my Ooh, big, that's, yeah. big youth group, they had gotten this big new shiny drum set. And this was one of the churches that had like the youth band. So we had like the bad, kind of crappy contemporary quote unquote worship band and they let like students play in it. So I remember being like, I have to play drums in this band. And I was a seventh grader at the time. The drummer was Conrad Batson, older guy, junior high school. And I basically was like, can you teach me how to play drums? Like, and then he was like, no. And so I was like, okay. So then like, I just kind of learned, I just kind (laughs) of learned on my own. (laughs) Awesome. Conrad. Yeah. I just had to hit him with that. Brutal. Uh, (laughs) But but yeah, our youth pastor was like, "Hey, there's this old drum set in the closet that you know we don't really know it's how haunted, to sell." Haunted, but yeah, it's, yeah it's, old man Withers died on it. But Definitely is a demon. You're you're welcome to, to take it home. And I remember bringing that thing, lugging it up to my bedroom, and just banging on those drums. Like my brother's so angry. Like everyone in my house just peeved because, and then eventually was forced to move him to the garage. But yeah, yeah, man, my my. That was kind of my entryway into like the rock world was on the, was on just as a seventh grader, just banging around on this old church drum set. So kind that they let me just put that in my house. Like, you know, it had like two cymbals, like it had kind of everything I needed. And then did guitar follow after? Um, Then I bought my first drum set. Like I convinced my mom to buy me one for $500 from Guitar Center. Wow, that's a chunk um, of change. It was a chunk of change, especially for, for a hobby for a single mother and a hobby of, of with three kids. Um, yeah, a kid so who burns like, through like hobbies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was definitely like one of those like Christmas birthday Christmas presents. Like we covered yeah. two Christmases with it. I got like nothing else the next year, which is totally not true. But <laughs> you're in um, debt, <laughs> gift debt. Uh, guitar, di- uh, bass, actually bass guitar followed after that. And then, and then guitar after that. But yeah, buying my first bass was like a whole thing from, from, it was a Samic bass from some crappy local music shop. But tell, what about you, Rye? First, first, uh, musical participation experience, first instrument you picked up. I mean, I bounced around like the classic school instruments, mm-hmm. uh, recorder, violin, uh, did violin for a, f- a few years, kind of, you know. These are things like I wish my parents had forced me to stick with because how cool would it be to be able to play the violin? The old today? fiddle? That's awesome. Yeah, but like no one sticks with it and that's what sucks. But you need <laughs> like, you need to resent your parents because they they force you to be excellent at something and mine didn't do that. <laughs> so, still pissed. Uh, and then I, you know, from like, eighth grade onward i just didn't play anything uh i was into sports right as tennis or we talked about this during you know a couple episodes ago it was mm-hmm. for me well you were in drumline i was on the tennis team and then 
you know, playing pickup when you were in bands. And, well, and that part of that was like, we couldn't afford drum lessons and I couldn't get anyone to teach me. So I was like, I guess I got to switch to drums in the band, which yeah. is like close enough. And I'll learn enough about how to, and it was super helpful, you know, doing drum line was like super helpful to learning how to play the drum set, which they don't teach you. They will not teach you the drum set. Um, right. But yeah, yeah, we we called the orchestra kids uh, Dorkestra, which is, I think I told Great. you that. Yeah, it's like ki- just kids in band yelling Dorkestra at the orchestra kids. It's pretty funny. <laughs> really, really uh, from an ivory tower yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's a lateral when move. Losers. <laughs> All right, so you did the like the classic orchestra stuff. You bounced around. What, uh, but yeah, and then nothing, and then I. You know, it just never really occurred to me to pursue music because I was always more into sports. But then, kind of like last episode, I started, you know, music became a big part of my life. Mm-hmm. And I spent so much time in my, so much of my time listening to it that I started going to concerts. And when I was at the concerts, I always found myself doing the same thing, mm-hmm. which was staring at the drummer. I just could not stop watching mm-hmm. drummers. I, I, for one reason or another, like, Obviously, guitar is an insanely hard instrument to play, and to being good at it is insanely impressive. But so I never are the drums, though. So are the drums. They are, but I guess it was the physicality of the drums. Like when mm-hmm. you're in a live setting, it's just easier to be transfixed with the drums because for sure there's it, so much more movement, and the dr- and the guitars are a little more subtle. Obviously, and I would just look at these drummers and think that they were the coolest people on earth mm-hmm. and I would kill to have that talent. And so that's how I had the seed to be like, Oh man, I wish I played this instrument. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's in that, it's in that class of instruments that they call percussion, which is where you strike the instrument. Um, which is, it's like, with the exception of the piano, piano is actually a percussion instrument. A lot of people don't know that because you're striking right. a, a key that is stri- then striking a hammer. Right. Um, that's, that's hammering a, a a string, but yeah, man, it's, it's definitely like, I, I have that, I had that same experience of just always being transfixed towards the drummer because it is, it, it, there's a lot of physicality to it. And I feel like there's always that first question we have of like, as kids, maybe if you're listening to rock or pop music where you're like, how are they getting their hands and feet to do all that at the same time? Right. Every limb, every limb. Yeah. Yeah. You're watching every limb doing its own kind of independent thing. And you're like, I wonder if I can figure that out. And I, and I remember like figuring out like rock beat a, which was like, you're going to hit the bass once and then, and then the hi-hat once and then the snare once and then the hi-hat and then the bass and then the hi-hat and then then you're going to like slowly kind of piece them all together. And like, I remember that like clicking slowly and just like the, how like cool that I, so I, I guess it was what it was high school when you got your electric drum set, right? Yeah. It was late high school that I got, I wanted a real kit, but there was logistical issues as far as like, like you said, sound, right? So it's either going in the garage. Would have been in the or, exact same situation if it wasn't free. Like, yeah, if it was like, yeah, I was like, oh no, this is a free drum set from the church that I can borrow. Like, <laughs> okay. I guess you're getting the real thing then. But yeah, yeah. it would have totally been the Simmons electric kit. Yeah. Which was awesome. Cause I could play in headphones and not really make much exactly. sound, but I mean, I had a, that thing for like almost 10 I don't know, some like maybe a decade, but I never felt like a real drummer. I never felt like I was really playing a kit. I would play a kit like 
once or twice a year and the response mm. is different the the spacing is different every it, it's just different and and I never felt wholly comfortable on an, an acoustic kit sure. and so even though I got an electric kit there was still again this like insecurity like oh, I'm not a real drummer this is like one step above rock band or something like that obviously a real drummer because you refer to it as an acoustic kit <laughs> <laughs> it's the ones you refer to it as like the non-electric kit or the bigger kit that's like okay this is actually an yeah, acoustic yeah. kit yeah <laughs> Right. Yeah. Dude, that is, uh, yeah, I remember coming over to your house because um, I think at that point I was just playing bass. I was just starting okay. to get into bass and I came over and we jammed a little bit on with the bass and the, the drum yeah. set. And that was a little beat. <laughs> yeah. And it was, uh, gosh, yeah, so fun. Um, well, if I can be sycophantic for a minute, like I remember watching you and your high school band and that's, that's feeding into that kind of, that's included in like the kind mm -hmm. of drummer envy. Now you were playing guitar, but mm. I just like, what, do you remember what band this was? Cause I had a few in high school. Was it, we walk in straight lines. Oh yeah. It was closed caption at the time. Closed they, caption. They changed their name after I left. Correct. And then crash 45. And mm -hmm. I guess in that situation, it was like, Oh, these aren't, you know, some distant mythical figures. These are people that walk the high school halls with me and they're mm -hmm. insanely talented and man, they look really cool up there. And for me, it wasn't about looking cool necessarily. They're so like that people liked you or anything like that, but it just looked transcendent. And I, mm. I, I wanted to experience that feeling. Mm -mm. Yeah. Oh, it was absolutely about looking cool for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's always going to be a part of the equation. I can definitely name that. Like, I am not a cool looking guy. So it was like, I'm like this giant, you know, so if I could hide behind a drum set and still be the center of attention in some way, that would be awesome. Um, but, but, you know, bass, the drum set also commonly referred to as the trap set, which I've always loved that name for it. Um, the trap set and the and the bass guitar are so synced up, right? So like, yeah. which which it gets lost a lot of it because in like alt rock and punk rock, you kind of have this like driving bass guitar. You got guitarists like Mark Hoppus who are going to play with a pick, which is actually mm -hmm. not the the traditional way of playing a bass guitar. You're supposed to play with your your uh, fingers and your you know, the pad of your thumb on the on the low mm -hmm. E string and. You're supposed to walk, right? You're supposed to walk mm -hmm. the bass, like Jack Black says in School of Rock. Yeah. Chilo, you have a bass when he tips it over. I love that. But yeah, it's like what that causes when you start playing with a pick. And I know I'm going kind of deep here, and you kind of do just that driving, almost kind of strumming on the bit. You have like a, a bass player who essentially wants to be a guitarist, but yeah. doesn't know how or can't handle two extra strings on the guitar. So they end up using this pick and give it this kind of nasally kind of driving sound. And what that does is it unsyncs the bass drum and the bass guitar, which obviously in their name historically are supposed to be linked. The right. kick, the kick drum, the bass drum of the drum set is supposed to be timed with the bass guitar, not in every style of music, but in, but in jazz and in a lot yeah. of them. Right. And so your bass player and your drummer are really the rhythm section. They're, they're supposed to kind of hold down that. And, um, yeah. of course I was no pro at that as either, but it was kind of an, like a, a de like a simple enough transition to say like, yeah. there's still something very percussive about the bass guitar. It's like the low end, it adds the fullness. It's not really like center stage, you know, both of those are kind of in the back holding down the rhythm and the timing. Um, so for me, it was like, I'm kind of ready to like get a guitar in my hands, but I don't feel confident enough to touch an actual guitar. So I'm going to play the bass <laughs> guitar. <laughs> yeah. I think someone had, I think I found one for like 80 bucks at a music store that came with an amp. It was like a crazy, it was, you, you know, like 
eight Crazy years deal. views. Yeah, had the had a cool sunburst, tobacco mm-hmm. sunburst look. Um, and then from there went to went to guitar. But yeah, man, it's it's uh <laughs> so so you mentioned my high school band. Uh, I want to share a story about like the first garage band I was in. So it's um I was playing the drums, and this is back when I'd I'd mentioned this on one of our earlier episodes, Ryan, about how you dictated kind of who was in the band based on the gear. Yeah. <laughs> so if you if you had the drum set and a place to practice, you were in. You're in the band. You're in the band. Yeah. Quality control was was lacking. <laughs> like Yeah. It was more about like who's got the bass amp, you know, so and so's brother has a PV bass amp. He can he can play, he's in. Uh so and so can kind of sing and has a a med mead med journal with some lyrics written down so they're in. Space was <laughs> space is so hard to come by and like Yep a place that will allow you to make a really large, like mm-hmm. uh, just crazy amount of noise that may or may not sound good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I remember, um, <laughs> my boy, Adarsh, Adarsh Pakanati was at the core of our band, uh, because he had a, this giant upstairs living room that his I remember parents, I went there one time. Yeah. 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 They let him like turn it into a studio and there was like a full drum kit, guitars, bass. He had like all the equipment and we would just like jam out in this poor family's living room and, um, peeve off the whole neighborhood. But like <laughs> that was, it was good. You guys were good though. Uh, Darsh was great and he was he was Darsh a fantastic was drummer and he was on drumline and you know he recorded our first record. but anyway so not that wasn't my first band but um it was me guy up the road named Josh Hebner who had a bass and this guitarist who shreds named Chris Evans no joke his name's Chris Evans Captain, Ameri- yeah, Captain, Captain America. America um and Chris had like he was the kid who had the Fender Stratocaster, who loved yeah. Jimi Hendrix, and um, I think he was super big into um, uh, what was the what was that? Van Halen. He was super big into Van Halen and could play all the Van Halen solos. And so the band was me on drums, Chris on guitar, Josh on bass, and we had no singer. Just didn't who have one. one. Chris didn't feel competent. I didn't feel competent. Optional. And we just jammed, man. We just played like Led Zeppelin covers and crappy covers of Red Hot Chili Pepper songs with no singer. And I'll never forget us getting like our first gig, like quote unquote. And it was at this retirement home. And we loaded in our gear for like hours. You know, my mom, we didn't drive at the time, 14 or 15. Parents had to drive us. It was a whole thing. Loaded Loaded in our gear and just like, blew the ears off of these like precious retired people who with <laughs> with just awful rock covers with no vocals <laughs> hearing aids go straight into like a cup of water oh just, my gosh i they, don't want to hear anymore <laughs> they were they were saints i just i just remember no joke one guy in a wheelchair just wheeling out in the middle of <laughs> just leaving the room oh man and it was uh yeah, I don't know. It was just I just will never forget my mom helping me like load in my drum set and just thinking <laughs> and like, where does this one go? Yeah. <laughs> now this is the floor, Tom. Right? <laughs> drops the cymbal. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, and uh, but yeah, I just remember the feeling of pure elation and that like we're yeah. playing in front of people for the first time. There's like ten people in the room. Half most of them don't want to be there, and. I don't know. For first gig experience, do you have any anything that comes to mind? I mean, it's going to be chronologically much later than yours. Sure. I I played around and did some like proto gigs, but 
I mean, I was a late bloomer as as I'm getting at here. And so like my current band is definitely like the most formal, longstanding, serious mm-hmm. project I've ever been a part of. And so I'm kind of like, we're like, it's it's kind of my one and only so far in this life. And, and I, I kind of like it that way. I like that I haven't necessarily... You know, it's unique. I would I would have loved to have started at a younger age, but it's also kind of nice that like so much of my experience has been tied to this band. Um, mm-hmm. And so... And y'all are good. You guys are not like a high school... Like you kind of skipped that whole embarrassing stage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we played our first gig. Um, it was our second time ever playing together <laughs> alone. We all met through this this other person. And so we had all jammed us four plus this fifth person. And mm. then after that jam, the other two, like I was friends with Charlie and then the, the uh, these other two guitarists approached us in the, in the driveway after we left that house. We're like, yo, you guys want to like play a gig? And so we <laughs> kind of cut out, we kind of cut out the fifth guy, unfortunately. <laughs> um, How stoked yeah. were you when that question came up? Do you want to play a gig? Do Yeah. They, they approached Char- uh, Josh and Peter approached Charlie and I, and, like so there's a small little gig coming up in a couple weeks and mm. i was stoked but dude i was i mean i was i was terrified like yeah, i yeah. was not comfortable playing in public i was mm-hmm. certainly not comfortable like riffing improvising to some extent as a drummer you can like play with anyone mm-hmm. you like learn how to play with anyone yeah um i didn't really feel empowered in that sense at that time so i was kind of terrified we practiced once and mm. then we played this gig um, i love it and how I remember it went really well. We were, we did a really short set because it was only our second time really playing. <laughs> did anyone, like did t- anyone in a wheelchair wheel out? Set? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's pretty cool. There's a photo of us playing and then there's a photo of the crowd. And we so got like we to post, post some of these gig. I got some gig photos. We yeah. should post a few. There's like this moment in time, like that is captured. And then there's a picture of the four of us mm. um, afterwards. And, I just remember being terrified and for the first like three songs, I really wasn't enjoying it because I was just so, you know, trying to stay on beat, mm-hmm. trying to keep time. And then for the last three songs, I was like, oh, this isn't going terribly. Like, and I let myself start to enjoy it. And mm. um, yeah, I mean, it's it's not a super eventful story, but mm-hmm. I I think this this feeling can manifest in a lot of different ways. Like, I don't know if you're an actor or... Mm giving a big speech or a presence i don't know like i don't want to sit here and be like a snob and be like only the musician knows this feeling but Mm -hmm. it is kind of a very unique feeling to play music in front of people and to do it in like to do it well Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's a great point and as someone who's um played a lot of gigs and also but but who's also like you know i have we both have a little bit of experience with stand-up comedy um and then obviously public speaking for me. Well, and, and so like for me, it was like being involved in the, ch- like I've, I've been involved in church music, um, in, in contemporary worship leading for, it was like 13 years and it was pretty much every Sunday for 13 years I was on a stage. And for me, that was definitely the attraction to it at a young age was like, are you, wait, you're saying I can like play the drums. And that's like, 
that's called serving like the church in some ways. Like I, can, <laughs> I don't have to sit in the audience. I can play the drums in front of Meredith Baker, you know, who's oh, like you were crushing the, gr- hard the girl on her. I crushed on. Yeah. And it was like, shout uh, out. Yeah. Shout out. Um, Different last name. hundred <laughs> percent. Um, one letter off though. And that letter was the first letter of my name, which we used to always talk about. <laughs> she was like one of my first girlfriends. Just take away that K. Okay. <laughs> Well, that K uh, was no. definitely taken away. Um, all, that, <laughs> <laughs> all that to say, though, um, it, it's a diff- it is a different thing. And it's a different type of performing. And like even like going back between like public speaking or stand-up comedy and, and preaching and then performing music, it's, it feels way more vulnerable. And um, way more... Uh, it, t- it definitely took a lot more out... It takes more out of me. Than, than public speaking or, or preaching. Not that those things aren't artistic in their own right, but um, I've, I've, you know, a couple of years ago, I stopped. I stopped doing church music. You know, I, I stopped working as a worship leader because I was so fried on having to do it every Sunday morning and getting up super early and loading in gear. And it just, the, it became very road and it stopped becoming fun. And that's, that's when I realized like, oh, I should probably stop doing this because this is supposed to be fun. Like, and of course, I think that goes with anything that becomes work and you start getting a paycheck for it, it just becomes less fun. Um, but it's a job. It is. It is a job. And then, you know, like for me in college, you know, I studied music and we had to pick an instrument and, and I played the guitar and was okay at the guitar. And I was like, okay, well, I'll do the guitar. And, um, and I, they said, okay, you got to pick classical or jazz. And I was like, well, like, I don't know if I want to go back to the Chris Hibbard saying my trumpet tastes like crest. So I'm going to go jazz because this is a world that I know nothing about. And they're like, okay, cool. And so, but I could, I could read music a little bit and, you know, played the piano and felt pretty confident, you know, kind of faking my way through it. And I got to play, I mean, they had a jazz guitar ensemble in college and I got, I was, we had to, as a class, we had to take it and we had to play in it. And I did that for four and a half years. Um, so it was like, th- there's another, there's more performing and practice built in. You know, we, we had that class twice a week and so we would play together twice a week. And, um, that was, I mean, like those, those guys became really good friends of mine and, mm-hmm. um, like it was crazy to think that like I went to a school where playing jazz guitar with a group of fantastic musicians and our, and our instructor, uh, Eve Woodard, she was like the best guitarist and still is the best guitarist I've ever met. And it is a very male dominated instrument and industry. And so for her to be like, yeah, I'm a woman and she shreds and like that, that was mind blowing. I'd, I'd never met yeah. a female guitarist in my life up till that point. And she was my instructor for four years. She was our professor and, and did, you know, other classes that we took. And, um, anyway, so all that to say, like that, that type of performing is definitely, uh, it requires a different type of energy, I think is kind of what you're saying. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, but and, and, what were you going to say? Well, yeah, I'll say this too. So as someone who's played in a bunch of different bands and I, I went through and totaled it cause I was kind of curious, Ryan, and this isn't to brag at all as it is to just kind of remember. Um, but I've, I've recorded eight records, re- really eight EPs. Um, EP means extended play. LP means long play. EPs are actually shorter. Um, which you'd think extended play might be longer than a long play, but, um, eight of those. And so 
have a, actually have a good amount of studio experience. And three of those, I was the front man, you know, I was the singer, the singer songwriter. And for me, that was the least amount of fun mm. was doing this, the writing and the organizing the gigs and, um, having to sing. And for me, the most amount of fun was playing drums mm. and, or, or just guitar, which is why on the last episode I said in my dream band, I would have these amazing musicians and then I would be the drummer because I don't want to be front and center. I just want to have fun, you know, and I want to just contribute and be a part of that, the group energy, and I definitely lost the group energy like throughout yeah. music to where I ended up recording my first solo record entirely by myself. And, um, I was in a studio and working with an engineer that, that I had hired, but it was three weeks, Rye, 2011, the woods, my first solo EP. I, I played in this band all through college that I really loved and had a, a bit of a rough exit from it. And I was just the, I was the, the lead guitarist and I was writing these folk songs and wanted to record them. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go do my own thing and go record. And I did. And I like swung the pendulum so far that I invited yeah. none of my very talented <laughs> musical friends. And I played the drums on it. I recorded the drums by myself, the keys, the bass, the guitar, the harmonica, the vocals. I did it all by myself and completely like burned myself out. It's three weeks like 60 hours a week in the studio that I paid for time. And it was, it was, so, I left the studio so mentally and physically exhausted from having to play all this stuff and think in all these kind of different ways and still think as the songwriter and producer of a record and yeah. all things considered it came, it came out fine. And I was really pleased with how it came out. But I do remember thinking immediately like, why didn't I bring in people? Yeah. What an isolating experience. <laughs> Other influences, uh, other ideas. Yeah. yeah. So, so talk to me, Rye, about your experience with music as a communal experience. I, I mean, as a drummer, it's, it's. I've never had the luxury of going solo, or the, you know, called luxury. I've never had the option. I mean, but you're also drum- a, a guitarist, right? You have a, you play some. Guitar. I have a guitar. It, it's, it's really a side thing that I mess around with. It's, it's more just for me, like. Mm-hmm. I mean, hey, I would love to go back to when I was five and and start learning the guitar so that I could be a virtuoso. Um, <laughs> but I, I find that it, it, I mean, it obviously requires a different kind of mindset than drums does. And and but I'm 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 perpetually envious of guitar players. Like mm. I think at some point a drummer tells themselves, certainly a drummer in a rock band tells themselves, okay, there's only so much I can do here. Now, if we were talking about jazz or other genres, I think we could maybe debate that. But mm-hmm. it, hey, when you're in an indie rock band, like yeah, like Neil Peart of Rush is not thinking. <laughs> He's yeah, got like eighty-seven Tom Toms on his kit. <laughs> exactly. I, I guess it, it's on some level a narrative that drummers might tell themselves. Um, but the TLDR of it all is that a healthy functioning band. And for me, like my bands had a few ups and downs, but generally we're pretty healthy, healthily functioning. Um, it's one of the more communal things I've ever experienced in my mm-hmm. life. Like I can think of a wow. few things outside of family that are like more communal than it's, it's the yeah. word combat is, is an overstatement, but it, it kind of yeah. has an us first them feeling. Yeah. Um, yeah like, yeah. like a, like a gig does. Mm-hmm. And to go up on the stage and 
whatever kind of pressure you want to call it and to do something well mm-hmm. and to push through adversity or just to be in a basement and to just mess around and create from scratch and the kind of free form beauty creative expression that comes along with that i really haven't experienced elsewhere in my life mm. it, it really is unique so i i'm not super eloquent on the subject but i do know that like we played a gig last weekend and I think it was the best I've ever played live and I think it was the most fun I've ever played live. And it would make sense that it's the most recent gig because you get more comfortable playing in public and mm. you get better at it and, and you can improvise more and you feel comfortable going outside of boundaries like a boomerang, you know, because you trust you can come back on, on beat mm. and keep time. But it was, I kind of blacked out for a bit, like part mm. of the set. I like kind of don't remember it. And um, mm. it's like being possessed for a bit. Like there's a part in the song where we kind of just riff and, and go mm. off and, and lose structure. And I don't know where else in life I experienced that. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's great. That's a great way to put it. Did you, do you experience that playing like either live or in your room? I don't know. It, I guess venue doesn't mm. necessarily matter. It doesn't have to be in front of people. Maybe it's more pure if it's not in front of people, but do you ever get that? I'm calling it like a blackout, but do you ever, have you ever experienced that? Oh my gosh. Yeah, for sure. And, um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've had just the privilege of, of playing with a lot of different people on, and, and getting to do that on different instruments, um, even to this day in a lot of way, but I also think too, man, that like I've, I, I, yeah, I've been having to really contemplate about my relationship as with music as a musician. And for me over the past couple of years, it's really been like a reset and I have to just take a step back from everything, which was pretty terrifying because that, that meant potentially losing my job. Um, mm. and, and having to come, you know, to my boss and say, Hey, I love doing this and I, and I love playing music and, and being, you know, leading the worship here at this church, but I can't, I've lost, I lost what you're talking, what exactly what you're talking about right there is like, I used to have it and I don't, it's not fun yeah. anymore. It feels like work. Um, I don't like having to give the band direction when they mm. ask questions. I don't like, you know, I, I want to just play and I want it to be fun again. And I want to feel like it's, it was never as good as it was in the garage. Yeah. And ever since then it's been downhill for me. Um, but it started at such a great place that the downhill didn't really feel like a downhill, but I even remember, I mean, yeah, like you get egos involved. And, and for me, it was like the, the time that, that we really started picking up instruments, Ryan, like the music industry was really changing. Right. Yeah. And so, like, Oh yeah. I, I think what I'm most sad about is I had, we had like a false hope in college, this band I was in of, of, getting signed to a a record label and um there was you know we had a manager and and we practiced every sunday night and we had a rehearsal space and we took it very seriously and we all put money into it and every dime that we made we made a lot of money we put it back into the band and once those things started happening and then there's uh an a and r representative coming from universal studios to one of our show and then our manager has a has a coke habit you know in in seriously yeah yeah i mean it was like and then money was disappearing and it 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 really like law, like I just remember thinking back in, I think it was 2011. This is so different than what it was five yeah. years ago for me that I'm quit. I'm done. And I'm going to go do my own. Yeah. I'm going to do my own thing. 
which then of course, if you're doing something solo, man, it's like just self promotion all day. Like the music doesn't really your name. Yeah. It's your name. There's no one in the band to help you promote it. You're just kind of on your own. So then I got burned out on that. Um, the, (laughs) I was really done. I was really done with it until I got to, to Duke and I had done, um, six records at that point, only one by myself. And then I got to Duke and I found out there's a student run record label called small town records. And it's all like Duke undergrads and graduate students who want to do stuff in the music industry or want to just be a part of it. And they gave, they give one musician a quote unquote record deal a year. And they have like these like tryouts and then you have to invite people to come and like cheer for you. And it's like, the musicians were fantastic. Um, and I decided to give it a shot because I want, I had some songs and wanted to make another record. And I was like, okay, this could be a communal experience again. Here's a community of, of students who, you know, want to, who have this wide eyed kind of energy about them who are, who go to a school like Duke that has great resources. And these are smart kids who want to make cool things. Like I want to be a part of this. So I went and I did the show and played a few songs and then got called back for the second one and the third one. And then I ended up getting this thing, this, this, you know, rec- uh, record deal, I guess. And what that meant is I got to do record a record for free and I got a, you know, a $3,000 budget to do it. And that was like access something I'd never had before. Um, and so I recorded it. Duke has an amazing studio with amazing microphones. And I got an engineer paid for by the school and just all these great things. And I got like, you know, some friends of mine to play on it. My wife, who's my girlfriend at the time, sang on it. My buddy Rhett did some mandolin, some banjo on it. And it was like, it felt like, like a really good experience again. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It was like, but I was, I've, I've never been able to tap back into that kind of communal thing. So to this day, I feel pretty disenfranchised with it, honestly. And I'm like, I, I decided like, I've got to just put it all down. I, you know, I had, I, you know, the drum set and the, the, you know, the keyboard and all the guitars, you know, I sold it all and it's all Mm -hmm. gone. And it was like, I've got one guitar now and it sits on my wall and every now and again, I'll get bored enough to where I'll pick it up and play it. And I can feel that like slowly some of that, you know, just for the hell of itness is coming back. And I have had the thought recently and like a little bit of band jealousy with your setup of like, man, I, I would, I would love to be in just like an indie rock band where I could, where I could play drums or just mess around. Yeah. Where I could just mess around and it not really. And I know that if I were to ever do like the, the front man thing again, it, I, the joy would get sucked out of it because yeah. then it would be my songs and my, this and my, that, you know, and then my ego would take over. And so it's like, it's gotta be something where I can just contribute for fun. But every yeah. time I, every time I talk with someone about it, they're like, great, you've got songs and you play guitar and you know, <laughs> and it's like, no, no, I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to do that. I want to do rhythm. We need a songwriting session in the woods. Yeah. Like, I don't want to go to the woods. <laughs> yeah. 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 Anyway, anyway, sorry. I talked for a long time there, but no, no, no it, that's, oh, I think you're, I'm so I, jealous I, of where you, I, I guess what I'm saying is I'm jealous of where you are with music right now because, and, and the word privilege comes to mind for me, like all I know is the drummer's perspective at the end of the day. And the mm-hmm. drummer is, is on the one hand, never going to be like the, the songwriting creative force of the band. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, stakes are decent. You know, I got to do my job, but there's really no, 
I'm not competing with another drummer in the band. Like guitarists clash. There's creative differences. If there's mm-hmm. usually three guitarists, that's and, a great point. The bass player uh, and the drummer have it made in the shade for that reason. There's no competition. In my band, all the guitarists switch guitars. So like everyone plays bass at some point. I love so, it. I love that. It's awesome, but also, is it truly democratic? Is it always an equal sharing of, mm. of power and input? And mm. I don't know if that's always the case. I think, you know, with Three's Company, sometimes one might feel left out. I don't know. Mm. That's how I imagine. So sometimes I feel privileged to just physically be in the back, kind of doing my thing. Mm-hmm. The the guitarists write the song, and I, I provide the beat. Um, and so I am in a fortunate from that standpoint. But also, if I mess up, it's insanely noticeable. So <laughs> I, not to be like, the drummer is so important, but the mistakes are super highlighted when the, everyone knows when the drummer's off time. <laughs> yeah, so. well, and it's it, it, there is that like that feeling when playing the drums of um, no one else can do this in the room. Like when you're a guitarist, you can jump on bass and figure it out. And a lot of times you can jump on the keys and, and figure that out too. It, judging, you know, if this is an indie rock kind of setup and it's pretty minimal, but it's, yeah, a lot, most guitarists cannot jump on a drum set and figure it out. Right. It's a, it's kind of a, it's a very different skill set. And so I, I don't know. I think maybe that's part of where some of the, the, it's the, the feet, en- and it's, and it's a lovable envy. It's not real. You know, it's like more of, man, I really, I really wish. Cause Ryan, Ryan, I feel like Ryan's in that phase of, uh, like he's never left the garage. Ryan never left the garage. Me? And, yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and I don't mean that as a slight in any way. I mean, it's no, no, as no, a compliment of like Ryan's out there playing gigs for the heck of it, you know, made a great record um what's the title of y'all's record again the uh uh, uh i just remember the, the purple cover we have one ep one lp our ep mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is called we are tall boys our lp is called homes in boston that's right that's right S- spotify check um, it out yeah check those out uh tall boys is the name of it um luchador's the name of our outro track we get that i get that question a lot um yeah. what's that outro track and where can i find it um charlie wrote that <laughs> But yeah, it's, I don't know. I guess that envy of like, if I were to listen to the, to the stuff that I did in the garage, like it's just was atrocious, but the stuff that y'all are doing still in the garage is great. And I don't, I don't know. It just like, it reminds me of like bands like Radiohead and Death Cab who are and Red Hot Chili Peppers who can stay together f- for, for 20 or 30 years and still, yeah. be, and still be friends. And I, I don't know. Like that's, yeah, that's a, that's it's, just a cool thing. Yeah. There's a moment when you're just jamming that Mm -hmm. maybe you get once or twice a jam if you're lucky where you guys just build and construct from scratch and then like you know maybe the song goes on 10 minutes and by the time you hit the eighth minute you're somewhere different and it's magnificent and you didn't you don't know how you got there but everyone's kind of looking at each other and um yeah, and uh, dude, like, I, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you. No, I, no, I, no. Finish your Go thought. ahead. Do you know what I'm talking about? I 100% know what you're talking about. It's my favorite moment in the world. I'll take rehearsing and jamming over any performance I've ever had. For sure. Hands down. And, I, and I've and i done some cool things. Like, I got to open for Bournes a couple years ago. And like, oh, yeah. there was like, there was like thousands of kids in the audience. and That's it was, insane. It was insane. It was so much fun. But I was alone. I was alone on stage. I was the opener and did it acoustic. And I just remember thinking like, this is so not near as fun as (laughs) like 
me, Josh, and Chris joking around because it was something we did to kill in an afternoon yeah. in the summer, you know? And then like no boundaries you didn't have to play it perfectly no and there was laughter and there was bagel bites and there was your you know your mom (laughs) telling you to turn it down and your pesky neighbor like that was i just want to go back i genuinely like want to go back to that and i'm actively looking for a group that sounds good and has like good stuff that Mm. i can be a part of and just contribute in a small way uh not to say that that anyone contributes in a small way but but to i guess what i'm saying as a singer is to not have to contribute in in a in a more major way of here's the song you know and here's the because because for me it was I don't know. I always looked forward to the, to just the rehearsals and still to this day, like there's that, that was the most fun. And I probably never should have, cause the performance is anxiety and stress. And I'm trying to impress this human being. And the rehearsal mm-hmm. is right. goofing around and, you know, mistakenly playing instruments to make your buddy laugh. And yeah, I don't know. To me, and that was like low stress. Stealing from other bands. And, <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. You took that from that song. And yeah, and trying to impress each other. Like that was what it was. Let's was let's impress each other. Yeah, as friends, and let that be enough. Yeah, and and let's mess up. Yeah, with yeah. the with the hope that we'll also have some transcendent moments mm-hmm. as well. And so. And I don't think you transcend unless you take enough risks where you're going to look like an idiot for a little bit. And maybe yeah. it's not going to, and maybe not. And obviously everything you try will not work out. So um, on, on kind of on the topic, I would love to get a, I know we're, we're in the last maybe 20 mm-hmm. minutes or so. Um, would you be open to sharing best and worst gigs ever oh, played? Geez. I've had some horrible gigs. Loosely defined best and worst gigs. And I can start off if you want a minute to think. Yeah, yeah, you start off. I mean, best gig is is tough. I I think like I said, I just mentioned one uh, last weekend. I think it was the maybe one of the best I it was the best I've ever played in front of people. Mm. I, I'm very confident at that. Like mm. I just hit a new level for me. I'm not saying I was the best drummer in the world. I'm saying the best I've ever played. In yeah, personal best. Things. And a few people told me who have seen me multiple times, like, oh, like you were different tonight. And mm, like, mm. I'm kind of, re- you know, I've been practicing more and different things. So like, I think it would make sense. Yeah, but yeah. also also at this gig, for the first time ever, I I lost a stick at a gig. Whoa, like I've, I love it. I've lost sticks in the basement, but never, it's been like a great point <laughs> of pride. I'm like, oh, I've never lost a stick at a gig. But, it makes sense that it would happen. At you, gig where I, I'm sorry. Have you ever seen The Rocker with Dwight Schrute? It's one I of, never saw The Rocker. It, it's such a stupid movie, but I actually it was pretty great. And Emma Stone's in it randomly. I I like it a lot. But okay. Dwight is this like old rocker in this young new band that has like his you know he's this washed up metal drummer and Will Arnett. I mean, yeah, Fred Fred Armisen's in it. It's so funny. But he uh, his he he convinces his nephew to, to let him be in his band because they need a drummer really bad. And they're playing and like he loses a stick at one point and he's like, or there's feedback or something happens and he's like, first technical difficulty. And then like they start <laughs> to catch a thing and he's like, and first recovery. <laughs> I, like, I, I love, so whenever you just said I lost my stick for the first time, I thought of him saying that. So what happens? You lose That's your so stick. Funny. Did you have one nearby or i always i've always kept two extra mm-hmm. sticks on top of the kick drum for that that's reason it, that's the spot N- never had to use it 
And uh, fortunately, I, I grabbed one and qu- quickly recovered. But the I think the lesson was like, oh wow, like my best gig <laughs> ca- came through this experimentation and this like confidence and this like risk taking that also brought my first real mistake in front of people. Yeah, yeah. And stakes were low, and I think everyone kind of laughed it off. And I love we, it. Like we like announced to everyone that it was my first time dropping a stick, and everyone clapped, and it, it was cool. But I was like, oh, well, how funny that. If you had told me I was going to drop a stick tonight, I'd think it was my worst gig ever, but it ended up being <laughs> ended up being my favorite, yeah. Because every time you put those sticks there, you think I don't need I'm not going to need these. Insurance policy. This is so I dumb. Need it. I don't know why I need to put these here and then that night you actually had to like reach down and try and stay on time yeah, with well. your you know high hat and grab I've yeah, it's like that's probably what helped make it the best is you recovered and like that's kind of exciting. Yeah. Yeah, and for some reason, I just started smiling. It was like I don't know, I was just feeling it. Yeah, can I? Can it was, I? Um, I love it. Blast. Can I guess your what drumsticks you play with while genuinely not knowing? And I know I'm probably going to be totally off, but I just want to guess. Please, oh, you, you could be close. Are, is, are they seven A's? Are they really Vic Firth seven A's? Oh, I was going to guess Promark. Okay, Vic Firth, no nylon tip. No nylon tip. I love it. Dude, I was, I was a for seven 7A A's. guy. Sometimes 5As, but mostly 7As. I dabbled with some 8As. The little, wow, little okay. Yeah, 5As were so... They, if you didn't play with them for a while, they felt like tree trunks. <laughs> they they feel unwieldy to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I do like messing around with them, but, but 7As is what I started playing with from day one, so it's always felt like an extension of me. Oh, dude, I love it. I, dude, I still have my Vic Firth stick bag with all my sticks and mallets and stuff. I, I just cannot believe you aren't in a band. Like it, I know we've been talking about this this whole pod and, and talking about it for years now. But like you, like I started getting into performing music because I watched you amongst other bands. But it's just so it's like hearing, you know, Michael Jordan doesn't shoot hasn't shot a basketball <laughs> in like years, you know, yes, it's like so yeah. strange to comprehend. Yeah. Cause I was definitely the Michael Jordan of music. <laughs> you were MJ. <laughs> I oh. had you, a, I had a poster of you in my wall. <laughs> if anything, my life is a cautionary tale to like not do what you love for money. <laughs> uh, you went hard. You went, I like went the, way the, too hard. The woods, uh, like self promo, like you were saying, like that was a job. Oh yeah, it was. It was, yeah. And it sucked. Um, Cause you do those things and stomach those things because you have the jam sessions and because you have the friendships and because you have the, those other things that make it poetic and fun and romantic. But when you take all that away and you just end up doing the things, it just kind of sucks, man. Like, and it's the, just, yeah. Then like the actual music aspect of it is, is a minority of what you're mm-hmm. doing. Like it's mostly traveling and promoting and networking. And then yep. oh, sometimes you also play music. Exactly. And yeah, yeah, I just went about it the total wrong way. Um, And I'm very like... Uh, You went hard. Yeah. Well, yeah. apologize. Definitely like some forced humility and like... I was listening to a podcast that the Avit brothers were on recently and they said like, yeah, the music industry's changed, but like Mm. it also... The thing that worked a thousand years ago still works, which is if you just go out and play a lot, people will notice you. And if you're good you'll be able to do it for money. And if you're not, you won't. And it was, it was like a very simplified, (laughs) like 
actually, yeah, they're right. And like, I've made all these excuses of, oh, the CDs went out and I've got all the, I've got like boxes of CDs of my records that I can't bring myself to throw away, but like no one buys CDs and you know, and it's like, I'm not going to play a gig and try and sell those again. So now like if I've, if I've ever done anything, like recently I did a little something, I just brought a bunch and put them out for free because it's like, just grab just one, em. just take them, man. Yeah. Just take them. And, but yeah, I think there was definitely that. I, I got a little into the dream of, I want to do this for a living. And I think that cost me the love of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. It's like, I, but at the and same I, and time, I'm, and I'm at peace. I'm at peace with it. Like I'm at a place of like, and I have people talk with me a lot about, hey, let's do this, or can can you do this gig, or, you know, let's form this band. And it's like, uh, no, like, I don't want to play an active role in any of it. Like, yeah, you're I mean, not I, there I, mean I want to be active, but I, I I want to contribute not as the the person organizing, you know? And there's a right. lot of people that want me to organize, and it's like... Write the songs. Yeah, and get it's the like, space. I would love to just play drums, you know, so... I'm glad that I'm like yeah. at that place where I have that desire again because I I definitely lost that. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, man, it's an interesting. I don't know. Yeah, it makes me really happy that that you're in a band and that you guys are like playing gigs around town. And I I don't know. That's just that's an awesome thing, and it makes me really happy to see young young kids doing it still. Yeah, and, and like guitar music is just not. It's not make it guitar bands don't make money anymore. Um, exactly. Yeah. We talked last episode about the strokes and Arctic monkeys and all these bands, mm-hmm. the kind of boom of indie rock of the early 20th century, 21st century. And I was like, look at the top 100 songs. I mean, first off, no one makes money off like streaming or record sales anymore. Sure. It's all off touring. And those aren't guitar bands. I mean, Coldplay, all these bands that started with guitars, they're all electronic now. Mm-hmm. Um, Maroon 5, uh, um, or even the Arctic Monkeys, a band I love. I mean, even their music has taken on, on this EDM like undertone. And, and so it is old. I love seeing the 12 year old with the guitar or schlepping mm-hmm. the drums around. And like, it's, I, I think guitar music can make a comeback. Um, and I don't think it's like the, the best genre necessarily. I think sure. it's just the genre I, gravitated towards throughout my life um so i'm i'm like biased toward it but sure um well yeah and you you also see like for a lot of that that style of music the indie the alt rock i'm seeing more and more musicians or i'm sorry young famous actors who are now using their acting career to bankroll what they really wanted what they've wanted to do in the beginning which was music like and of course you do see a lot of actors who are also very talented musicians and vice versa but um like Finn Woodard of Stranger Things and and it, it like that kid has a band called Calpurnia and they shred and I love them and they're like um I I think they're fantastic and like it's very clear though when they do interviews like the camera's on Finn like he's a very famous kid right now same with um Dylan Mittendorf um the the kid from 13 Reasons Why um, that, that kid has a band called the, the wallows, the wallows, wallows, and they're a great, he's got this kind of cure kind of eighties deep voice kind of sound, but like, it's very obvious in the interviews that they're, so it's just been interesting to see, like, that's how some people have been able to keep it going is like, they have to do something else to then allow them to kind of, but yeah, you're totally right. Like, I don't think we're going to have another Kings of Leon anytime soon, just come up through the ranks and, and blow everyone away. Yeah. 
And or or Mumford, is, maybe Mumford and Sons was one of the last. <laughs> no, that's yeah, Lumineers like some mm. of these bands. Boney Vare even had to transition into this like he's just doing this electronic stuff that I don't really dig. Um, yeah, and I mean I love a lot of electronic music. Like I love stuff that's made with synthesizers and, mm-hmm. and computers. But yeah, same, same. At the end of the day, I think what what will remain true is that the guitar is an incredibly accessible, incredibly playable instrument it's a challenging mm-hmm. one but what i mean is anyone can pick it up and like learn it and play it in their room like yeah. the drums may be a little more prohibitive um and i guess you could say the same about like rap in a sense like like rap is so lyrics heavy why do you know it, there's not a high barrier to entry as far as mm-hmm. you know writing verses and free freestyling now getting beats is a different thing you sure. probably need equipment and computer but at least for guitars I, I I don't. It's never going to go away fully because it is an incredibly democratic instrument, um, and you can't ultimately access it. For sure, for sure. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm ninety percent sure that Gibson, which is which was my go to, yeah. Um, you know, I have a Gibson on my wall and owned more Gibsons than I did Fenders for sure. And um, they declared bankruptcy, you know, yeah. a few years ago, and that was like that really hurt me because it was like. Man, I've I've owned, you know, bought and sold fifteen Gibson guitars and um really swear by them. I've got one of one of them on my shelf that I will never get rid of. That and it was like to hear that they were struggling that much was like I don't know, yeah. that just people aren't buying guitars in the way that they used to. Right. Um it's a sad, is, sad thing. This is this podcast has been an elegy for the six string. Thank you for listening. <laughs> We, I oh. want to end on on a classic bard to death note, which I think is a story. Yeah, bring us bring us back uh, up here. Bring our positivity. But, but up I, I, I want to get you. I, I kind of mentioned my best gig. I mean, we had a, a really bad gig earlier this year where we mm-hmm. we thought we were showing up for one thing, and, and we it ended up being basically like a, a barbecue with kids running around. And <laughs> we were down our a guitarist, there. and it was so uncomfortable, and mm-hmm. it was hot, and. We couldn't, we didn't feel like we could be loud. And the one song we tried to play loud um, was a song called Ohio by mm. Neil Young, which is a protest song about the Kent State shootings in the 60s. Whoa, dude, Ohio is my, I've played that at probably 100 shows. That's like, seriously? T- yeah, dude. Oh, Ohio? dude. <laughs> Tan Soldiers and Nixon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we chose, we're like, this let's summer, just, I hear the drumming, Four Dead in Ohio. That's my jam. Dude. dude. Yeah, so this whole show we're playing quietly mm-hmm. because, like I said, there's like a ton of kids at this thing. We don't want to be there. We instantly <laughs> regretted it. I love that you're saying there's kids because isn't the chorus uh, "Got to get down to it"? Soldiers are gunning us down. Yeah, and <laughs> right before we long ago, right before we play this song, Charlie, our lead singer and guitarist, looks at me and goes, "All right, let's play this now. Like, let's let's <laughs> Let it let's. Rip. I want them to feel the rebellion. Yeah, or like let's rage against the machine or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he sets the tone heavy and loud. And during one of the chorus, he just like lets out a guttural scream. And I look over, and there's a child crying, <laughs> and his mother his mother is coddling him, and he's like covering his ears. Oh, and uh, oh, that's deflating. I remember being like, "Oh, that kid's gonna be an engineer. He wants nothing to do with art or music for the rest of his life." <laughs> I don't listen to music. Ever since I heard a crappy Ohio Neil Young cover, I stopped listening to music. <laughs> I hate music. Dude, yeah, Neil uh, Young's like my favorite songwriter. I've told you. I know every one of his tunes. I literally was playing Ohio yeah, yeah. like two nights ago. I, s- I picked up the guitar and was playing the guitar riff from it. You saw him, right? Live. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, with my yeah. dad. It was awesome. With pops. Got the tickets framed. Um, dude, that is so funny. And there's nothing it was terrible. I've had infinite gigs where someone asked me to turn it down. Oh gosh, yeah. And there's nothing more deflating than like you're putting your heart and soul into a song about the Kent State like, protests where four college students died to make a statement about Vietnam. And that someone walks up and says, Hey, can you, can you turn it down? You're kind of like harsh in our vibe a little bit at the dinner party. And you're just kind of like, Oh, that's so deflating to me. And I, it's so personally offensive <laughs> and you I totally p- understand how music, can yeah. be, the volume of it can be offensive as well. And yeah. you, you play your instrument best when you're relaxed and try consciously playing softer and relaxing. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, it's so it feels at least with the drums, it feels like you're you're trying to beat an egg against a kitchen counter and not break it. It's it was the worst feeling uh musically. I hated it. It was a terrible <laughs> show. We still joke about it. It was it That's was so funny. funny story, but a terrible experience. I also um, love the moment of you said Charlie turning to you and being like, Let's do it. <laughs> let's, let's rage. And I was like, No, 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 I don't want we should not rage. This is not the setting to rage. I love uh, it. And I guarantee you there are kids out there that you didn't see who are digging it, who are just like, I, I'm going to be a drummer now. I'm going to go play music. I hope. Um, <laughs> I've, t- I've told, can I, can we get a story from you to kind of wind things down here? Yeah. I'll mention, I've had too many bad gigs to name. <laughs> um, no one of them sticks out, but I had, uh, so at the end of, um, college, we had to play this, um, all music majors had to do like, um, a performance, you know, recital kind of thing. And in the jazz world, um, the way that we did it was so like whoever's it was like me in this case is kind of like the featured musician and you kind of sit like central in the stage and then you hire professional musicians to play around you. So it was actually like a big deal. And it was like essentially like your senior thesis kind of thing of like you, you want all of what you've learned about music to be culminated into this like one hour long, experience in this like beautiful um in in our case it was a chapel um was like our big performance thing and so um we you know and in, in our my instruct my professor guitar instructor said like you know this is something you you know i'd saved up for it and was going to spend you know like I think $1,500 on hiring musicians to come and like play around me because this was like a graded thing, but it's also something you invited like all your family to. And it's essentially like the culmination of your, your music degree. Right. And instead of hiring professional ringers, I just hired my friends (laughs) and just, gave that money to them <laughs> that I had, that I had saved I up. I remember this gig. It's at the HBU chapel. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It was at the HBU chapel. Yeah. And, I was there. Oh, cool. Yeah. So you were there and it was like, I had, and, and like, these were not the best musicians. Like when you hire, they call them ringers. When you hire a ringer, this is a musician that's so good that they show up the day of essentially, they might do one rehearsal with you and then they just, they are, they just shine. Like they're just the best. And essentially you're supposed to surround yourself with ringers. Um, but in my instance, it was in my case. It was like, why would I surround one? Why would I surround myself with better <laughs> musicians than me? Exactly. Like, and two, um, why am I going to pay strangers all this money when I could like pay my friends and we could do it together. And I decided to, to not hire, uh, my more skillful friends. Some of them were more skilled than others, but I hired the people that I enjoyed playing with and that made college what it was for me. So like, yeah. for instance, 
the other guitarist who's playing with me was infinitely better than me, <laughs> but he was like my buddy and, yeah. and you know, and then I needed a drummer. And so we got another buddy and then, you know, uh, he seemed good. He, I remember him. He was, yeah, Zach. And then, um, Uvaldo Callejas was the bass player. And like, Uvaldo, like we were, we just did four years of music together and he was, he was the only bass guitarist in our group. So it was like, well, of course I've got to use him. Like, why would I hire someone out when he's like, and then the pianist, um, was my buddy, Aaron Hendricks and Aaron and I, we'd never played together. Um, we, he was a classical pianist and was amazing, but he, jazz for him was something he hadn't really touched. And it was something he always wanted to try. So for me, it was like, this guy's just like, when at our school, there's like a cohort of essentially 15 of us who went through all these years of classes together. And he was in my cohort. So it was like, I've got to get this guy involved. And he's always wanted to play a jazz gig and has never had the opportunity. So let's throw him up there and it'll be, you know, just as stressful for him as it is for me. <laughs> and so that's, that's what we did. And essentially it was like, I, it was all recorded and I have the recordings. I actually listened to him the other day just for the heck of it. And it was like, it's just fun to listen to me, like playing a style of music that I studied and, and, you know, got okay yeah. at, but, but, and clearly it's not my forte. Um, so I'm fumbling through things and we've got other musicians fumbling through things, but at the end of the day, I wanted it to really embody like my college experience with my friends, not with strangers. And, yeah. um, I'm really, 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 really glad that I did it that way. Um, and, and took kind of more of a hit on the sound of the evening so that I could just feel more comfortable and, um, do it kind of the way that I wanted to do it. And, for me, that was like probably one of the last marks of um, me doing music in the way that it probably should have been done all along. Yeah. Uh, so, I like, oh, I thought that story was going to go south. Like, No, that was my kept, best gig. I mean, I remember that gig and I remember... Not my best really playing being, by any means, but... No, I remember being really blown away and I remember you covering Bon Iver too as well. And, and I just remember thinking, oh, my God. Like no, just, no, no, no. These do, people are really talented. Bon no, this was like a classical kind of like jazz recital oh, thing. I remember that one as well. Yeah, that was a separate one. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. You you're did an you're you're album my, release. Yeah, yeah. That was a CD release show in the yeah. same room, which was a bunch of fun too. Yeah, um, yeah. Because that was the same thing. Got a bunch of friends to play with me. but um, You played Flume. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's I right. I do remember this. That's crazy that you remember that. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful chapel. Both of those shows, are, yeah, the, 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 both of those are up there for sure. Yeah. Dude, wow. I, I feel like, again, we could talk all day, and, and who mm -hmm. knows where season three takes us. Um, I feel like music will creep its way back in Dude, to are our we, conversation are we at some point. season two right now? I think we, I think we for the sake of the listeners' ears. I'm having, um, I'm having some feels right now, right? I know. Well, so it's weird. The listeners don't know this. We recorded the first six episodes of season two in a very condensed time frame mm -hmm. about a month ago and then had to take this last month off for availability reasons and so this i feel like we've walked away from the pod now like two or three times yeah yeah this feels like almost like the band getting to back together for a one last show to yeah, me yeah. i i don't think it i don't think it is but it has that feeling like this seems like a one-off right now this recording uh, yeah, day I, yeah yeah um, well, yeah, it's we, crazy. Here's to it not being the last one. Hopefully not. Please let us know. We did a radically different format for mm -hmm. season two. Obviously, fewer episodes, which I stand by. Uh, it's yeah, been yeah, a lot, too. a lot healthier, uh, especially for our friendship. Um, would love to know. We've heard from some of you. Thank you so much. Please, please let us know. 
if you got any value out of this, if you liked this, if you hated it, yeah, you don't know. We're new to this. We're just we're messing around. We're yeah. in, we're in a band. We're please, in the basement. Please give us some feedback. And if it's like some positive feedback that you were thinking of in your car a few weeks ago and thought you should have emailed us or hit us up on Facebook or texted us and you didn't, send us that because that gives us fuel to keep going. Um, I'll just say a couple end of season two credits here. Ryan wrote, um, I was very, very impressed by this, wrote and uh, recorded and and put together the opening true crime song. (laughs) So that little ditty that you're hearing for the first few minutes is all, is all Ryan. Um, I had the privilege of getting to edit it and play with it a little bit, but all his composition. And also of course the, the closing song is, uh, Ryan's band tall boys. The song is luchador, uh, Spotify, iTunes, check out tall boys, show them some love. And, um, it's been a joy. I wrote the true crime song and then proceeded to be terrible at the true crime activity, (laughs) which was, which is more important. (laughs) Uh, this is serial season. Ah, God. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm calling it. (laughs) I, uh, yeah, I hope we come back for season three and, and I don't know what it looks like, but I hope it exists. That's what I'm going to say. Thank you. A major thank you to everyone who's, who's listened. We, we check the stats every once in a while. Mm. Engagement has, you know, jumped right back. Uh, we, we didn't have an episode of this show for like three months and then, we kind of just jumped back in it and so did you guys as well so it means the world to us thank you so much we hope we're connecting with y'all and Mm -hmm. want to connect more in the future so yeah we hope to catch you guys for season three uh, if and when that happens we hope it does and uh, until then this is Colin Abshabir and Ryan Shaver signing off season two bar to death AC Slater AC Slater (laughs) (laughs) alright later bye 9pm with street lights it's never too late to readjust your seat sit back and think right you never can trust oncoming headlights You're my luchador in spandex, so call me if you need me.